10,500 seat stadium right there on the waterfront in Pawtucket. It's, it's going to be an awesome atmosphere. And we want to make sure that it's the state's living room, that everyone feels welcome in our stadium. That was former professional soccer star and Rhode Island native Michael Parkhurst. And he's the guest on today's episode of New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Welcome to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast, the podcast for serious soccer players and their supporters to help further their development and navigate their way throughout their soccer careers. And now, here's your host, Matt Langoni. Welcome to another episode of New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Today I'll be joined by Rhode Island FC co-founder and former professional soccer star Michael Parkhurst. Hey, Michael, thanks so much for taking the time with us and being on the pod. Good morning. Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Big news for Rhode Island soccer fans, obviously. Earlier this week, Rhode Island FC unveiled its its new crest and its team colors, and they're a go to start competing in USL Championship in in 2024. Just kind of your your overall thoughts about what this club will mean to Rhode Island. I obviously know Rhode Island's near and dear to your heart. So what, what does this club mean to the state? I think that we saw on Monday and Tuesday what it's going to mean to the state. The reaction and support from Rhode Islanders was overwhelming. It was unbelievable. We had an, an amazing day on Monday where we visited all 39 cities and towns. We had an event in the evening at the Guild in Pawtucket. We followed that up with media on Tuesday, and it was just incredible. I mean, even by Tuesday, when I'm walking through the airport and I've got somebody stopping me and asking me, oh, is that the new soccer team looking at the crest that I'm wearing? Honestly, it was just incredible. The Guild uh, on Monday night was packed. There was real excitement around the area, and we knew it was there. We knew Rhode Island was a hotbed for soccer. There's so many youth clubs and colleges, different leagues with ethnicities. And we knew that we just needed to tap into that. And that's important for us. We want to make sure that every part of our community in Rhode Island feels at home in our stadium. And so the outreach will continue over the next 12 to 16 months and in preparation for 2024. Take us inside this this whole process. I know this has kind of been a long time coming. I think we had a story, I think last year in 2021, that this you were on board and this was this was on on the come up is it one of those things where you just felt like Rhode Island was you kind of mentioned it in that that previous answer but is it just a, a great area for soccer that maybe wasn't tapped into and this is an opportunity to give the fans there something of their own absolutely and, and Brett Johnson had the vision he he knew that when you look at statistics of soccer ratings for big matches US national team Premier League, big games. You consistently see Providence in the top 10. We've got D1 soccer programs all over the state. We're a melting pot of a state as well. And we know that that soccer is the world's game. It's the fastest growing game in the U.S. And so it just made sense that the market is there. And now it's up to us to make sure that we take advantage of that, make sure everyone feels welcome. But I think that the the support on Monday and Tuesday around the unveiling was unbelievable and gives us that satisfaction and that knowledge that yeah we we this is definitely the market that we we thought it would be. A- anyone who follows soccer knows how how important a crest is and how important team colors are. I mean, it it sells merchandise. It makes people you know, people think it's cool. They want to they want to sport that stuff. 
what went into the the vision for the crest? How much of a role did you play in designing that thing? And uh, what was kind of the process behind it? Yeah, we wanted to get the community involved. We had a, a bunch of listening sessions throughout the state trying to figure out what do people react to in a name? What would they want to see in a name? If they call it soccer, if they call it football, colors. There's a, there's obviously a lot of support in the state for certain soccer teams. And so with that comes colors that people like and also people colors that people don't like of, of national teams and club teams that they don't like. Combined with that, with we wanted to make sure that we had something that was unique to USL, that when you turn it on the TV and you see a USL game, that oh, that's Rhode Island right away. You don't have to say, oh, that's what's that white team or that black team. So we think we really hit hit the mark there. And we, we hired a local firm called Nail, and uh, they, they were the ones that came up with the design and uh, just did an incredible job of encapsulating everything that we heard in those listening sessions, plus our feedback as, as an organization. And they, we think they just nailed it. Is that a stressful process? Because I mean, once you come up with that crest, that's just kind of your identity. That's how you're known to the general public. And you want it to be one that the last thing you want is to come up with a crest and everyone be like, Ooh, that wasn't, that's a rough looking crest. Yeah. Immediate get negative feedback. So how stressful was that whole process of coming up with that? Very, very stressful because you get one opportunity at a first impression. And we knew that it was very important. And like you said, it's, it's the identity of the club for hopefully a very, very long time. And there's, there's a few teams in the last few years in MLS that have done rebrands and have had to rebrand the rebrand because it was so poor. Right. And so that's that's why we wanted to make sure we connected with people out in Rhode Island first and, and got some of their opinions and we're, we're listening to them and hearing them hiring a local firm that was connected in the state so yeah it was it's one thing to be in, a part of it and see it happening and to think like oh this is awesome because we've got a bias but then to get that reaction on Monday and Tuesday and the sales and the season ticket deposits just crushing records in USL it gives us that validation that, yeah, we weren't the only ones that think this is awesome. <laughs> you being on board, I would think, has to give the club a lot of cachet, especially in your home state. I mean, you had a decorated pro career, MLS Rookie of the Year, MLS Defender of the Year, playing with the Revolution for some of those years, obviously, as well. So you're a known commodity in soccer circles all over the place, national team appearances. Did you always envision yourself after your playing career to get into something? I mean, did you know that you kind of wanted to stay in the game and, and do something like this? Yes and no. I knew I wanted to stay in the game at some, in some way, shape, or form. I never really thought like, oh, I'll be part of an ownership group or, or a co-founder of a team. I, I do some mentoring with youth athletes, so that was keeping me involved, and I really enjoy that. But when this opportunity arose and I heard about the project in Rhode Island, it just made total sense. Like, wow, this is such an awesome opportunity for me to be involved and, and make sure that uh, all the kids growing up in Rhode Island today have have those dreams and aspirations that I did when I was little with a now with a local team that they can hopefully be a part of one day or, or work for one day and have these players out there in communities being role models and connecting with kids. So it's honestly a dream for me to be able to provide this um, with a bunch of other really good people to to the state. Do the, do the Revs have a pretty significant, I, I imagine they do. They're, it's 
but Gillette's pretty close to Rhode Island. Do the Revs have a pretty significant fan base down in Rhode Island? I mean, did that when, when the formation of the of the Revs happened in the MLS here in New England, did that kind of strike home in in Rhode Island and spark up a lot of interest in professional soccer? Totally. I mean, it was the closest team. So absolutely, I grew up going to some some Revs games, but. I think that it, it strikes a little bit different when you've got a team in your own state, in your own backyard, that's a little bit more convenient to get to. And, and that can be out and about in the community and forward facing a little bit more than a team that's in the state up north. So for sure, I grew up a huge Revs fan and obviously got to play for them and, and respect that organization a ton. But we think that we just absolutely some Rhode Island love of the game that we can tap into for sure. Let's talk about your your home venue where you guys will be playing your home matches. Tell us a little bit about that, what it, what it will be like, what the atmosphere will be like, all that stuff. Yeah, 10,500-seat stadium right there on the waterfront in Pawtucket. That is, phase one is just the stadium. There's a couple other phases that will include a live, work, and play type area, which will be amazing for before and after the games and, and even for people living and working. So. It's, it's going to be an awesome atmosphere and we want to make sure that it's the state's living room, that everyone feels welcome into our area. And we know that sport in general is one of the biggest uniters of people in the entire world, right? Across the world, across the globe. Soccer is the biggest sport in the world. So we think that we've got the greatest unifying aspect in society coming into Rhode Island at a time when we need more things uniting people than dividing people. And so we want to make sure that we create an awesome atmosphere, an awesome game day experience for people. I finished my career down in Atlanta and they were a startup team in 2017. And I always tell people that they filled that stadium with a bunch of people that didn't know much about soccer, but they loved the atmosphere. They loved the chanting, the the standing. They're there for two hours. It's an awesome atmosphere, so unique and different than soccer than baseball and basketball and football. So we definitely want to make sure that it's a, a memorable and fantastic experience there at our home stadium. Right. And you see that in Vancouver and in Seattle and all these all these venues across the country for MLS clubs where they, the the public is really just taking a strong interest and it's really just taken off with the excitement and the game day atmosphere that it brings. What would you say is kind of the vision for how the roster will be built for your for your club? I mean, is is finding local players who have a connection to New England is that going to be something of significant importance? And and along with that, what style of play would you like to see the club bring to the to the pitch every day? Yeah, I think that you know, to start answering, I'll relate it back to the previous topic of making sure that people enjoy their time there. And that number one is having a winning team out on the field, right? People want to support a winning team and a good team. And that's a, a top priority for us. So we want to make sure that we are competing not only for playoffs, but for trophies from day one. And we're committed to doing that, to spending the finances and finding the talent that will result in such a team. So I think the roster will be made up of some college players that have graduated or left college, some current USL pros, some foreign talent, and absolutely some homegrown in-state talent. I was blown away by the amount of people that came up to me over the last couple of days and said, I followed your career from when you were in college up until you, you played in Atlanta, like all the way, not just with the Rebs. 
And it just really struck me like Rhode Islanders love cheering for fellow Rhode Islanders, right? They just love following them and, and rooting for them. And so nothing will bring more pride to the state than making sure that we've got a Rhode Islander on the team. So hopefully we can go find a couple out there that's and, and we will, we'll, we'll make sure we scour the state up and down and we'll have tryouts available as well leading up to year one. So a combination of younger talent, older, older veterans, both here and abroad. New England's soccer journals, The Goal, will return after this. Hey, here's a great new idea in fundraising. Soccerheads New England Comedy Fundraisers. This is better than a stand-up show. It's an event that your community will never forget. You'll get soccer-themed comedy with Paul Nardizzi, who has been on Conan O'Brien, and Nesson Comedy All-Stars, along with Dave Radigan from Sirius Radio Comedy, and Jim Roberti. There will also be giveaways and all sorts of extras. Want to make money for your soccer club and have fun while doing it? Email the guys at SoccerHeadsNewEngland at gmail.com. That's SoccerHeadsNewEngland at gmail.com. Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. Looking to keep up with all the latest news and information on New England soccer? New England Soccer Journal and NESoccerJournal.com are the premier resources for information and inspiration on the New England soccer scene. Have every issue of New England Soccer Journal, the magazine, delivered to your home or office. And don't forget to stay in the game every day with a digital subscription to NESoccerJournal.com to receive soccer coverage on clubs, college commits, prep and high school, division one, two, and three colleges, showcases, rankings, and so much more. Get in the game and behind the scenes now by going to anysoccerjournal.com. Just click on the subscribe button and start the subscription that is right for you today. New England Soccer Journal is a Siemens Media publication. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful. I got to imagine there's going to be a heavy sense of pride for Rhode Islanders. I mean, it's the smallest state in the country. So if somebody makes it big in any in any area of concentration, I think there's going to be a lot of pride for for fellow Rhode Islanders to kind of root them on and and, and cheer for the, the greatest success they can possibly have. Totally. I mean, I, I found myself rooting for the Astros just because of Pena. <laughs> right. I root for the Twins because of Rocco Baldelli. Right. It's like they got the Rhode Island connection. So I right. get it. Right. But Pena had a great World Series. That was something to watch. What would, how would, to, to those not familiar with USL Championship and, and the league and, and just what it's, what it's like, the level of competition, how would you describe it? It's unbelievable the amount of growth in USL over the last decade. I know that MLS has grown significantly as well, but USL is a little bit lesser known. And when I started playing for the Revs, it was, bare bones to say the least USL. And now 
we've got a, a league full of stadiums, soccer-specific stadiums for USL championship teams popping up all around the country that are between the eight and 15,000 seat stadiums that are connecting with communities that are bringing people in and, and having a really good product on the field, right? It's on ESPN plus for a reason, like people tune in, right? We're now selling players abroad for seven figures, right? So we are not minor league soccer. This is a professional soccer team. We compete for trophies. We're not a feeder team into, and no team in USL anymore in USL championship is a feeder into any other professional organization. We are our own standalone professional soccer clubs. So it is a very high level. So we will compete for trophies from day one and it will be difficult for us because these other teams have really risen the bar lately, but that's a bar that we're, we're happy to help elevate. What do you think it says about American soccer now that we can have multiple high quality leagues in the country. I mean, it's funny because when MLS started, we, we, we were, I feel like the rest of the world viewed us as inferior in the soccer landscape and maybe they still do. But I mean, we've, we've really come a long way in the last two plus decades, but where we are right now, where you can found a team in USL championship and have a, a, a stadium with over 10,000 capacity, what does that say about where we're at? Yeah, it's un- unbelievable. It really is. It, it's, it's crazy. It wasn't that long ago I was growing up. All of our coaches, I mean, in rec were mom and dads who knew nothing about <laughs> some of know? that still exists though. There's still a, some of that still there. <laughs> For sure. No, undoubtedly. But now I, more and more of those parents have an idea of soccer, of kind of what to teach the kids and how to teach the kids. And, and so the level is just growing and growing at, at such a younger age and, and people are staying more involved, right? Before it was like, oh, soccer is a good sport to play when you're seven, eight, nine, when you want to get rid of energy and then, you know, it, it increase your athleticism for when you get to go play a real sport. Right. But that's not the case anymore. And I think a lot of that has to do with now we've got our own professional leagues. We've, we're on TV, right? There, there's goals and aspirations for these, these young athletes now to look up and say, oh, I want to be that guy. I want to be that woman that's playing professional soccer that I, even for me, I didn't have much of when I was growing up. So I think that that's important. And that's, that's definitely where we want to hit the target there in Rhode Island. I'm curious, do, do you watch Welcome to Wrexham? Sure do. Yeah, I do too. I love it. And I'm, I feel like that show is doing a lot for even soccer in this. I mean, it's, it's been huge for Wrexham. They've been on TV since then, but I think it's doing a lot for soccer too. And it's showing Two well-known Americans who invest in a product and and show how they can really improve a, a a franchise and and let it grow and that's a lower level team across the seas but still like the the, the passion behind that town and that club is that something that you, you look at and you're like why can't we do this type of stuff in the United States even if it's not an MLS team even if it's quote unquote a, a lower level club team why can't we form that kind of town pride within a within a, a franchise. Totally. Absolutely. And we know that, hey, there's a lot of work to, in order to do that, right? Wrexham, when you, we watch that show, you see generations of people that have been Wrexham fans for so long and passed that on from generation to generation. But yeah, you do you see, you see a small little town in the middle of nowhere in Wales <laughs> and all these people just gravitate on game day to their team and they talk about it during the week and it, it brings them together, right? And how they enjoy going to the bar, going to the away games and all these things, right? 
and that last episode hits it right it's it's not so much about always the wins and losses it's about who you who you go to the game with and the time you spend with people and and what it does to the community so it's definitely that's we're creating that in Rhode Island hopefully for the generations to come but I think all of those shows uh, are awesome for the sport Ted Lasso and right right I was just gonna say I mean I have friends who who like you know I mean, I have my soccer friends and I have my friends who don't watch soccer, but those shows come out and they almost get like a, a renewed, maybe I, maybe I should give the sport a try because these, these shows are like, for lack of a better word, making it cool to other people who may not have thought about soccer in that way. Definitely. Absolutely. And it all helps. And it brings it to, re- to real life. And I think people get a, a better appreciation and understanding of the sport a little bit from these fictional shows. Right, right. I want to dive into kind of your soccer upbringing in Rhode Island, what it, what it was like growing up in the state, what the competition was like for you. How, how young were you when you started playing? Seriously. I started playing six or seven. Yeah. Yeah. And then went from CLCF to Bayside United, played under Stacey DeCastro and really developed there. We had a, a very, very good team with a bunch of players that went on to play D1 college soccer and guys that most of uh, I'm still friends with today. So, you know, that, that's really where I formed my love of the game was, was with Bayside under Stacy. Did, did you grow up playing other sports or was soccer kind of always the thing early on for you? No, absolutely. I was worth, I loved baseball, huge baseball fan, massive Red Sox fan, loves playing baseball, played up until high school until I went to boarding school. I mean, I had, a, had I gone to high school in Rhode Island, I probably would have played both in, in high school as well because I loved baseball. But yeah, I played basketball in the winter, just like a normal kid, played played all the sports right. depending on the season. What, what's your stance now? I mean, you mentioned you kind of men- you, you talk to young athletes and young players and, and kind of mentor them. What's your stance on the whole, you see specialized athletes more and more now. You see kids maybe nine, even eight, 10, or just focusing on one sport. Do you feel like, what's the appropriate way to do that? Because there's so many players out there wondering like if i want to make it i really just need to forget about everything else and do this but is is that the right move do you think no <laughs> i don't i think that tiger woods probably ruined it for everybody <laughs> with the specialization of, of being so good at so young of an age because i think that my generation we played all multiple sports everybody played multiple sports right it was crazy i mean i don't even think it was possible to just play one sport yeah. year round but now and I understand, I have kids of my own that are now 10, 11 and 12. And so I understand it's difficult to play multiple sports now if you want to do it above a rec level, right? Because it, it is a lot of commitment, both time and financially. But I do think it's very beneficial. I do think to this day, for sure, that baseball helped me be a better soccer player. Because every time I was out there on the field, on baseball field, I was thinking, what am I going to do if the ball comes to me? Where am I going to go with it? Right. And I started thinking like that on the soccer field and and it just helped me. And and I think there's so many little instances of like different sports. You pick up little things that help you in other sports. And it's really tough to know when you're eight, nine, 10 years old, what sport you're going to like. I I played with so many kids that they lost the love of the game because they were just doing it too much. They didn't love it that much. And it was just a shame because so many guys that I played with more talented than me, they just burnt out. It just couldn't handle it anymore because that's all they did. And some of it was forced on by the parents. So it's, there's a fine line, but I, I wish there was a little bit more inner sport playing of younger players. 
I, I totally agree. Couldn't, couldn't agree more, actually. I also want to ask you, what was your recruiting process like when it came down to time to pick the next level after high school? Did you want to stay close to home? Were you kind of open to going anywhere? What was the whole, your whole mentality with where you wanted to play? I had the opportunity to go to a boarding school down at IMG for high school. So I did that. And so then when I was looking into college, it was more, can I get back to home <laughs> or stay somewhere else? And, and I think I was mostly focused on the East Coast, but I, I really was not highly recruited. My, it came down to Brown versus Wake Forest. And Mike Noonan was a coach at Brown at the time and really, really liked Mike and, and the Brown program. But it just came down to a scholarship at Wake Forest that Brown being an Ivy League just couldn't couldn't do. So uh, I'm, everything worked out. It worked out. I was going to say it worked out pretty well for you. So <laughs> and we had an amazing team down there and some great coaches and, and things. But yeah, I wasn't highly recruited. Yeah, I went on a couple visits and then chose between two or three schools. Was that frustrating at all? I mean, I talked to a lot of kids who are going through that process and it's, it's stressful. You go into these ID clinics and you're going to these showcases and it's that constant struggle. Like, how, how am I approaching this, this showcase? Am I going to try to showcase myself? Am I going to play within the team? Am I going to or try to just make myself look as good? What's like the, the best approach or the advice you would give to, to kids going through that process, just trying to navigate their way through it? Yeah, I would say that things will work out how they should, right? So you go out there and you have fun and you do your thing and you try and win and you try and help your team win by being a good team player. And, and whatever success that has got you to where you are to have that opportunity to play in front of these recruitment recruiters, stick with that, stick to your strengths, right? That's what got you to where you are today. But I, I will say I played with a handful of pros that went to a junior college and then transferred to a D1, went to a D2 school, right? I, I think of Chris Wondolowski, the all-time leading goal scorer in MLS history, went to a D2 school, one of the very last draft picks scored six goals in his first four years as a pro, right? Had every excuse to not make it and went on to be the MLS all-time leading goal scorer. So I think that we get hung up sometimes on like, oh, I need to go to the top school. I need to go to my top school. I need to go to a D1. I need to go to the top 25 school, whatever it might be, where if that desire and that will is there, you have every opportunity, even if that doesn't work out. Because not everybody that even gets into those top schools We'll keep up that desire, keep up that work ethic to make it actually to the to the, to the next level. Right. How's uh, how's life out in Ohio? You like that area area settling down into? Yeah, we really like actually the Midwest life. We, I mean, I moved out here when I played for the crew. Yeah, and we knew no one, nothing about Columbus, and we we fell in love with the area. Just easy living, right? Uh, no traffic, good schools. Easy living. Must be all about Ohio State football over there right now, right? Gosh. <laughs> I never really understood college football. I mean, growing up around right. college football is big, right? You move out here, holy smokes. Man, I say that all the time. I, I was doing this thing right after college. A few friends and I, we were trying to go to like hit as many big time Division One college football stadiums as we could like once a year. And I remember we went down to, went to a game in LSU and I saw, we saw them play. I think it was like Eastern Michigan or something. I mean, they beat them like by 45 or 50. And we were there at the tailgate and we were like, this is ridiculous. Like this is, we don't see this in New England. I mean, you're not going to see this at BC before a game. And somebody, somebody from Louisiana who we were tailgating with was like, yeah, and we're playing Eastern Michigan. You should see what it's like if we have like Bama here, or like 
it's like off the charts. It's on another level. Just crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, it, it is. It's, it really struck me. I, I, I've only gone to one Ohio State game since I've lived here. I'm yeah. not really a fan or anything. Right. But I got invited to Ohio State, Michigan, and I was like, all right, I got to go. Oh, yeah. And you're there with 100,000 other people, and you're like, there's a bunch of 18 and 19-year-olds out there on the field. Right? This is this is insane. I know. So, yeah, I mean, I'm all for those guys making as much money as they can. Right. Might as well. I mean, everyone else is making money off them, so they might as well, too. I agree. So, lastly, kind of, what's what's going to have to happen before 2024, before you guys start playing? What are the, the main things or main objectives you guys have to really get settled for the club here? Yeah, I think that we just announced a team president's. We've we've got a couple other board members with significant experience that we'll announce at some point soon, and the the search for a head coach will increase rapidly right now, especially with the NBA in between seasons. We want to make sure that we give our head coach a full year of preparation time to scout to to learn the area to move up here, so that hire will occur by first quarter of next year. So we need to find that person soon. So I think that the, uh, that that'll be the next big hire for sure. And then increase the staff, find find Rhode Islanders and, and talent outside to to come in and help build this organization. We need to make sure that we continue to have an impact in com- in community, even before we have a team. We want to make sure that we're rallying the state around us and, and people recognize us and want to be a part of what we're doing because of what we're doing in the community. So that that's big on the, on the plate for 2023. Do you have a few characteristics or traits that you know you want in a head coach? I mean, is there kind of a vision for what that, who that person will be and what they'll bring to the table? A little bit. We want someone with, with experience, like I said earlier in USL or MLS, because we, it's very difficult to start a team from scratch, right? It's one thing to take over a team that's already put together and just change some tactics. But it's another thing to go out and sign 24 guys and start fresh. And so it's it's really nice to have someone that's a lot of the players here in the US, especially. We know that the majority of our roster will come from, they're, they're currently here in the US or will be next year. Yes, we'll bring in some foreign talent and, and, and scout outside of the country, but so someone that knows the league well, but also someone that can be the face of face of the franchise, right? This person will have to be out there and, and meeting with youth clubs in the state and speaking with kids and speaking with youth coaches and doing interviews, right? So someone that can can handle and do that and connect with people as well and develop talent, right? There's some coaches that can put a great product on the field, but only with a bunch of 28-year-olds and 30-year-olds so they don't have to coach them. So it's, if, if our coach is one of those, then the assistant coach becomes very important as well. So it's getting that balance because we definitely want to have some young talent that we develop and then push on to Europe or wherever. Yeah, there's a, there's a few different characteristics. Uh, no, no candidate's going to be perfect, uh, right. but we'll, we'll find the best one for sure. Well, it'll be exciting to watch it all unfold. Obviously, it'll be great to see you guys get on the field for the real product. I'm sure Rhode Islanders will be, will be super excited when, when competition officially starts. But um, I want to thank you, Michael, for being here today. It was great. And obviously, hopefully, we'll be, we'll be chatting in the future and keeping tabs on the club. Yes, absolutely. Anytime. I'd love to join you. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. 
Thanks again to Michael Parkhurst for joining the podcast. I'm Matt Langoni. Thanks for listening. New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast is produced by David Yaz and is a Siemens Media Production. You've been listening to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to our podcast. Or visit anysoccerjournal.com forward slash podcast. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful.